Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. He has to break us of that self-sufficiency, that self-reliance that comes packaged with arrogance. So God has to perfect us and the instrument in God's hand in perfecting us is oftentimes allowing that suffering and sometimes he has to do it to get us back to him because ultimately that's what happens we end up wandering you're listening to in spirit and truth the radio ministry of pastor jd farag of calvary chapel kaneohe pastor jd is currently teaching through the book of job when you decide to follow jesus you're embracing a life of refinement by trial It won't be easy or comfortable. God will allow hardship and temptation because he loves you. As Pastor J.D. will explain in today's message, in those times you can grow in your faith as you come to the end of your capabilities and are forced to depend fully on God. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 33 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Sometimes it's just for the sole purpose of correcting us. He, He chastises those, he corrects those, and sometimes we get a spanking. I mean, let's... You know, be honest about it. Sometimes God has to spank us and discipline us and correct us and chastise us. And the instrument that he uses to do that is oftentimes the suffering and the difficulty and the pain and the hardship. Sometimes he allows suffering to protect us. I think of that account when Jesus has, and he's sort of in a rush. And it's kind of interesting because in Luke's gospel, Uh, We have this detail uh, where he writes that immediately, that's the word, immediately Jesus gets the disciples into the boat, sends them onto the Sea of Galilee, and says to them, I will meet you on the other side. And what happens when they're right smack in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, as is often the case, just with the climate, and you can just have out of nowhere this storm that can hit and that's exactly what happened and it is a perilous storm it is a life and death storm out there in the middle of the sea of galilee and it's the account when jesus comes and they're terrified and peter realizes it's him and says bid me come and peter gets up out of the boat and walks on water until of course he takes his eyes off the lord and then he he prays that famous three-word prayer, which gives me great hope. Lord, save me. It gives me great hope because it encourages me that God answers three-word prayers. (laughs) It's been said it's not the length of the prayer, it's the strength of the prayer, which, by the way, does not apply to sermons. It's not, does not apply to sermons. Okay, just so we're clear, just saying. So what does the Lord do? The Lord saves him from drowning, and they make it to the other side. Now, what's my point? Well, this is interesting. Why was Jesus uh, so urgent and wanting to immediately get them 
into that boat and onto the Sea of Galilee knowing that there was going to be a storm. You don't think that, don't think for a second, Jesus didn't know that he was sending them into this storm. Why would he do that? Oh, to protect them from a greater storm had they stayed. What greater storm? Oh, remember, they just got done feeding miraculously the multitudes with just a few fish and a few loaves. And when we're told that, you know, there were 5,000 or 4,000, some believe it was a, a separate account where it happened more than once. That's just the men. And you add to that the women and the children. You're talking about maybe 10, 15,000 people conservatively. Think about this. And you're one of the disciples. And every time you reach into the basket, there's more bread there. There's more fish there. And these people are starving. And you're miraculously feeding them so much so that there's even fish and bread left over. Um, I don't want to leave. <laughs> uh, Jesus, there's no, no hurry. Let's, let's plant a church here. Calvary Chapel of the Fish and Loaves Multitudes on this side of the Sea of Galilee. In other words, uh, they could have gotten pretty heady. They'd have, they could have gotten and been given over to pride. And the thought is, is that he wanted to immediately get them out of there to protect them from what could have arguably been a greater test, a greater trial had they remained. Sometimes God will send us into a trial and he'll allow us to go through something if for no other reason to protect us from something else that would have been infinitely worse. And so sometimes it's for our protection. Other times he allows, his, allows suffering for uh, our direction or redirection. So God sees us going in this direction and he, he wants to get us to go in this direction. So how's he going to do that? Well, you know, it's kind of that, uh, how's he going to get us from point A to point B? Uh, sometimes here we are going uh, to point A and we're very comfortable in point A. So sometimes God will have to disrupt us and allow adversity to strike because Point B is better, but we would have never considered point B had he not disrupted the path we were on in point A. So sometimes it's to direct us or to redirect us. It's this last one to perfect us that is the biggie, for lack of a better word, because this is Romans 8.29, right? So we know Romans 8.28 for God we know, no, not believe, not hope, not think. No, we know that God works all things together for the good to those that love him. And this is the qualifier, key, are called according to his purpose. Now, verse 29 tells us what his purpose is. What is his purpose? His purpose is to conform us, perfect us, if you prefer, into the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, he will allow suffering, he will allow difficulty because he's making us more like Jesus. That is his ultimate purpose. He is conforming us into the image of Christ. And as we talked about on Sunday, 
one of the characteristics of the Savior was meekness and humility. Not weakness. Meekness and humility. So if we're going to be more like Jesus, that means we need to be more humble. We need to walk in humility. And there needs to be a meekness in our life. So how's God going to do that? Well, oftentimes he has to break, better said, crush our pride. That pride that is in us, innate within our sin nature. Our, our Adamic nature. And that is, I believe, at the center of all sin. As one so aptly noted that the letter I is right in the middle of the word sin. And the letter I is right in the middle of the word pride. How apropos is that? And that is the biggest problem that we have. And God has to humble us. And sometimes that can be very painful. And he has to break us of that self-sufficiency, that self-reliance that comes packaged with arrogance. So God has to perfect us and the instrument in God's hand in perfecting us is oftentimes allowing that suffering. And sometimes he has to do it to get us back to him. Because ultimately, that's what happens. We end up wandering and straying. I love what Charles Spurgeon so eloquently said as it relates to God allowing pain and suffering to redirect us back to him when we've strayed as we're so prone to do. You know, remember that hymn? Uh, it just came to me. Uh, give me a give me a second here. Prone to wander. What's the title of that hymn? Somebody help me out here. Oh, I feel it. What's that? It's tough, it's tough to get old. That's not the name of the hymn, but that's the problem, isn't it? So anyway, it was written by a guy who had wandered from the Lord. And when he was close to the Lord, he wrote this beautiful hymn about wandering. And one day... He's uh, next to a woman who's singing that hymn that he wrote. And he had wandered. And he starts weeping. And he says to the woman, I wrote that hymn about being prone to wander. You know, it's going to really bug me for the rest of the study. You know how that is, right? So please, somebody help me. If it comes to you, just... Don't be bashful. Shout it out. Well, anyway, here's what Charles Spurgeon said. Now you're thinking, see, we're, we, I've completely lost all of you on that, right? <laughs> Somebody Google it. You can use your phone. Somebody go. What is it? Come thou fountain. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, my good. Come thou fountain. Come thou fountain. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so here's what. Spurgeon says, he says, the chastisement of sickness and the flagellation of pain whip the sinner back to him who alone can save him. These are the black dogs of the great shepherd wherewith he brings back wandering sheep till they come again under his crook 
and he leads them into green pastures. That's what God, as he's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He'll leave the 99 to go get the one that has wandered to bring them back. This is um, Proverbs 20, verse 30. It says, blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Sometimes God has to wound us to get us back to him. Sometimes God has to allow the hurt, the pain, the suffering in order for us to come back to him. David in Psalm 119 verse 67 said it best this way. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, I went astray. I wandered, wandered, and he loved me enough to afflict me, to bring me back to him. And that's why sometimes God will allow suffering. Chapter 34. That was a nice break from Elihu, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, well, let's uh, get back into what he has to say here. Elihu further answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. I almost, I don't know what kind of tone, but I don't like his tone already, just reading it. For the ear tests words, verse 3, as the palate tastes food. Let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job? who drinks scorn like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men. By the way, he's getting a little more vicious, if you haven't noticed, and it's going to get worse. Verse 9, For he has said, speaking of Job, It profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness, and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. For he repays man according to his work and makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly. It's almost like he's implying that Job insinuated that God does wickedly. Nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Again, it's almost like he's saying that Job said that God perverts justice. God is unjust. That's the accusation here. Verse 13. Who gave him charge over the earth? Or who appointed him over the whole world, if he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and men would return to dust. If you, verse 16, have understanding, hear this, listen to the sound of my words. It's, you know what, it's, I might be reading too much into this, and you'll forgive me if I am, but it's almost like they're not listening, which is why he keeps saying, listen to me. No, right? Am, am, am I uh, reading too much? He keeps saying, listen. Why does he have to keep saying, listen? Because I don't think they're listening. Listen to the sound of my words. 
Sounds like he likes to listen to the sound of his words. Should one, verse 17, who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is most just? Again, he's insinuating that Job is condemning God as being unjust. Verse 18, is it fitting to say to a king, you are worthless, and to nobles, you are wicked? Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die, in the middle of the night, the people are shaken and pass away, the mighty are taken away without a hand. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty men without inquiry and sets others in their place. Therefore, he knows their works. He overthrows them in the night and they are crushed. He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others. Oh my goodness. You know what he's saying here, don't you? Job is wicked and God has struck him publicly, openly in the sight for of all to see. So verse 27, because they turned back from him. In other words, Job has turned back from God and would not consider any of his ways. Just put Job's name in here, because that's what he's doing here. Job has turned his back from him. Job would not consider any of his ways. So, verse 28, that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him, for he hears the cry of the afflicted. When he gives quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hides his face, who then can see him? Whether it is against a nation or a man alone, that the hypocrite should not reign, lest the people be ensnared. In other words, Job's a hypocrite. Verse 31, for has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Should he repay it according to your terms just because you disavow it? You must choose and not I. Therefore, speak what you know. <laughs> Can I, You want me to speak what I know? I don't think you're going to let me. Verse 34. Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without Wisdom. Wow. You got to understand that certainly in that culture, in that day, it's in that culture today. I can assure you of that. A young man would never speak thus concerning an elder. To, to say this elder speaks without knowledge, his words are without wisdom. This is quite an accusation. This is quite an allegation. And verse 36, he goes on, oh, that Job were tried to the utmost. Oh, really? 
because his answers are like those of wicked men. For he adds, oh my goodness, rebellion to his sin. And he claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. This was uh, what they would do in that day. This isn't an applause like you approve. No, if you didn't agree when somebody was speaking, you would clap like this. That, sorry, <laughs> that was your, that was you uh, indicating and communicating you do not agree with what they're saying. What he's saying here is when these three so-called friends were speaking, Job was clapping. Disagree, 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 disagree. I wonder if he was doing that when Elihu was speaking. I assure you he was. Because he says he claps his hands among us. In other words, he's clapping his hands while while I'm speaking right now. In fact, he probably was clapping his hands right when he said that. Look, he's clapping his hands again against us in disagreement with us. And in so doing, he's multiplying his words against God. Not just against us, it's against God. You just want to take this little whippersnapper and... Teach him a thing or two. (laughs) Wow. You know, whenever I, I mean, I'm asking myself this question. I'm going to present this question uh, now. Why do we have a chapter like this in the Bible? Right, we know that every word in God's word is there for a reason. There's a purpose. It's for our instruction, our edification, our rebuke. There's always a reason for every word in God's word. And even this gnarly chapter with this ugly, you'll forgive me, this ugly, full of himself young man who's going to teach Job a thing or two and accuse Job of a thing or two. So the question is this, why do we have a chapter like this in our Bibles? I believe one of the reasons is that it speaks to an important issue. This issue of misrepresenting and mischaracterizing what someone says for the purpose of demonizing them, antagonizing them, and criticizing them. And I'll add accusing them. Job didn't say what this guy says he said. He's really putting words in his mouth. The book of Job shares the story of a man who has lost everything, but still clung to his faith in the goodness of God. This is an unusual concept, especially in a world that typically blames God for the evil that is around the world. God is still good no matter the difficulties you are facing in your own life. God is in control, and he will bring things to the conclusion he knows is right and perfect. He provides the peace and comfort you'll need to endure as well. Along with the strength to continue forging ahead, trust God, He's on your side. We hope you found encouragement and blessing through today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to connect with you, so please take time to visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Follow our links to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube 
and join the conversation already happening there. You'll learn more about our ministry at our website as well and be able to catch the latest editions of the Mideast Prophecy Update. Each week, Pastor J.D. takes a look at current events of the world and compares them with scriptural teachings, sharing what God is teaching him through it all. You'll find these updates at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com as well as on our mobile app for Apple and Android phones. That brings us to the end of our time with you today. There's much more to discover in the book of Job. We hope you'll read ahead and ask God to reveal His truth through the words on the page. Join us on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth as Pastor J.D. continues his study in Job. Right with you always.